So picture this with me. It's morning. Your alarm goes off. You reach over. You hit the snooze button once or twice or seven times. Nobody's judging. (laughs) And then you finally wake up and you grab your phone. And you open it to whatever social media you prefer. You get up out of bed. And you set it down on a little pedestal. And you bow down to it. Right, and then you, maybe you work out, you hit the gym, you grab a shower, you're standing in front of the mirror, getting ready for the morning, and you look at how good you look. You get down on your knees and you bow down to the mirror. Right, and then you jump in your vehicle and you drive to work. You walk into your office and there's your desk. This is where you're productive. This is where you make your money. And before you sit down in that chair and get on your computer... You get down on your hands and your knees, and you bow down to your desk. You work hard, right? You get in a full day's work, get out, you run home, you pick up your kid, you take them to the ball field. And as you're walking up to this field where they're going to play their game, you stop them. You get down on your hands and your knees with your kid, and you bow down to this ball field. You come home. They played hard. It was a good day. Maybe you got ice cream. My kids always get ice cream. You turn on the TV. There's your favorite celebrity. And before you tune into what they're saying, you get down on your hands and knees. You bow down. Feels ridiculous, right? Like, it feels crazy. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves in this position Right? Maybe your phone's not sitting on a little pedestal. Maybe you're not actually on your hands and knees in front of your TV worshiping your favorite celebrity. But I think if we take a moment and we look at ourselves and we look hard at our lives, we find ourselves in these situations. Right, well, good morning, Community Church. Good morning to those of you who are here, who are in Alma, joining us online. My name is Jeff Heishen. I'm the Director of Student Life here at Community Church. And over the last 10 weeks, we've been walking through the book of Exodus. We've been looking at Moses. We've been looking at the people of Israel as, let's be honest, like God has done amazing things. Right? He brought the Israelites out of generation-long slavery. He took Moses, this this man who was raised as a prince and then became a shepherd who struggled with confidence, with speaking, and brought him to this place that he he was the voice of God to the people of Israel and to Pharaoh. There was miracle after miracle after miracle, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. The people of Israel followed God with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They ate manna from heaven and they had quail at night. They saw water come out of a rock. And then we come to this place in Exodus chapter 32, where it says this. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. 
So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Today we're talking about the golden calf. Today we're talking about idolatry. You know, if I'm being honest, this is one of those things, this is a story that I have read a number of times. And every time I read it, I think the exact same thing. I actually talked to a number of staff members here at the church, and all of us had the same feeling when we read this story, where we look at the people of Israel and we're like, you morons, like you absolute idiots, right? Like you just witnessed maybe some of the biggest miracles ever. You walked across the Red Sea on dry land, right? The armies that were pursuing you were wiped away. When you were hungry, God fed you. When you were thirsty, God gave you water. And, and after all of that, you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on up there. Like Moses talking to God, maybe. We don't even know if he exists. Like make us something that we can see. Make us a God. Make us something we can bow down to. And I think if you're like me, you read that, not only are you like, is you stupid, like, you stupid people, what are you doing? You also say, well, I don't, this doesn't affect me. I don't deal with this. Or like, my guess and my hope is that none of you have like a secret shrine in your home with a little idol or golden calf that you made out of earrings that you're bowing down to daily. Like, I don't have that. There's not like a little gold statue that I'm praying to daily. And so I think we read this and we're like, well, let's just keep going. Like, this, this, this doesn't impact me. But now I want you to think through the context of the hypothetical story I told at the beginning of our time together. Now I want you to take a good, long look at your life and ask yourself the question, does this experience that the people of Israel had actually apply to us? Because I'll be honest, it applies to me, right? I see it in my own life. I see it in some big ways, and I see it in some, in some small ways. Right? And I think for all of you, whether you're here in this room, whether you're in Alma, if you're joining us online, wherever you are, you could be in California, you could be in Vermont, you could be halfway around the world. And this idea of idolatry... I think you struggle with it. I think that we struggle with it. So before we really dig into this, I just want to take a moment and define idolatry. Idolatry is defined as extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. Extreme adoration, love, or reverence for something or someone. In the context of this morning, I want to just say it like this. 
Idolatry is elevating anything or anyone to a position in your life where they are more important than God. Idolatry is anything in your life that you are elevating to a position of importance over God. Right, like it talks a lot in the Bible about how God, the first of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. Right, it talks about how God is a jealous God. And, and if you're anything like me, when you've read that and you've heard that, you're like, well, that seems kind of weird. That seems, you know, maybe if I was going to put my finger on it, if I was going to say a word, maybe it, it seems a little egotistical. Right, and here's the thing, if it was me, Right, like if I got up here this morning and I spent the next 30 minutes just telling you how you should worship me, how you should only listen to me, how I should be the most important thing in your life, it would be egotistical. And, and honestly, if I did that, like you should leave. Just like get out, get out of here. But here's the thing. I'm not God. Right, and here's some things that I know about God. God is perfect, and God is holy, and God is everything that's good. And so when God says, I am the first priority in your life, it's actually not egotistical. It is a reflection of who he is and who we are called to be. Right, and so I want to begin asking this question for all of us, as we think through the lens of God being our number one priority, what is God's best for me? Right, this is a question I think all of us should be in the habit of asking. What is God's best for me? Right, when you're going to make a decision, what is God's best for me? When you're going to do whatever it is, what is God's best for me? And here, I think, is the answer to this question. This question, what is God's best for me? What does God want for me and from me? It's actually found in, in Matthew chapter 22, where it says, I'm going to see how good these sticky notes work. All right, we got there. Where it says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, that's Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. At student life, we say it like this. Love God. Love people. Love God. And love people. And I want you to understand when Jesus says that this is the first and greatest commandment, what he's saying is that this love of God, this interaction and engagement with God, this asking the question, I think, what is God's best for me, is the filter through which we should engage every single part of our life. Everything that we do has to be through the lens of, am I loving God? Am I doing what God has called me to? And then if the answer to that is yes, am I loving the people around me? I think that is the answer to the question, what is God's best for me? And we're talking about idolatry this morning. And, you know, again, I think it's this, it's this thing that a lot of us just, we kind of brush by. You know, we don't 
think through it. But I hope, as I've talked about, you know, God being our priority, I hope as I've talked about, about even that, you know, that kind of silly story at the beginning, that, that it's put it into a perspective for you where you're saying, God, what do you have for me today? What are you trying to teach me as we look at the Israelites being just absolute morons? What are you trying to show me? And as I've been studying this, I think there are three specific things that we can learn from the people of Israel in this moment. And the first one is found in the first verse, where it says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So the first thing I think that we can learn from this is that idolatry can happen fast. And I just want to contextualize this for you. Actually, as you read a little bit about more of this story, as you look at kind of scholars and historians, they actually say that Moses at this point had been up on the mountain for 40 days. He'd been up communing with God for 40 days, and the people of Israel had been kind of down at the base of this mountain. Now, admittedly, 40 days, it's kind of a long time right? Like, I find myself in this position where sometimes I'll be, like, online at the bank, and it takes, like, seven minutes, and I'm like, this is taking forever, right? The Israelites waited 40 days. But to put it into context, the Israelites had just been brought out of 400 years of slavery. 400 years of slavery. We're talking generation-long slavery, like their grandparents and their parents had been slaves, and God, through this series of miracles and power, brings his people out of slavery and out of Egypt and is marching them towards the promised land. And they wait 40 days. And they're like, I'm, I'm bored. I'm, I'm kind of sick of eating this bread. I don't like quail anymore. And admittedly, quail's like kind of gaming. You got to cook it just right. But like they find themselves in this place of boredom. And it only takes 40 days. And they're like, we're done. We're done with Moses. We don't know what he's doing up there. We don't know what God's doing. Whatever. Make me an idol. Idolatry happens fast. Right, I think about my own life. And if I'm not being intentional, if I'm not paying attention, how quickly I elevate things in priority in my life. Right? My wife um, will, if any of you want, she will absolutely love to commiserate with you over this. I have a number of hobbies, uh, and I find new hobbies regularly. And I'm not just like, oh, I might like to do this. I'm like, oh, this thing sounds interesting. I'm all in. Let's do it. My whole family, like, we're all doing it, too. Right, like we bought over, uh, over quarantine, we bought a 10-gallon fish tank. Because I, I had fish as a kid. Put a few fish in there. I was like, girls, this is pretty neat. 10's not big enough. Now we have a 30-gallon fish tank. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, could be bigger. And my wife's like, stop it. What are you doing? Right, like I got into disc golf 10 years ago. Started with one disc. Now, like, the joke is, like, I could, I did. I actually just did. I outfitted, like, half of our staff on a disc golf outing. Like, and I've sold a bunch of discs. Like, I jump all in, and suddenly these things are so important to me. They run my life. 
And I think if you look at your own life, you can see the places and the times where idolatry happens fast. Right, the next thing that we can learn from the people of Israel is found in verses 2 through 4. It says, So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Second thing that we can see from the people of Israel in this scenario is that we feed what we idolize, right? We feed what we idolize. Think about it. Where's your time? Where's your money? Where's your effort going? You know, again, for me, it's not like I just lucked into multiple aquariums and tons of disc golf discs. Like, I, it took me time, research, and it took me money, maybe more money than my wife knows that I spent, to get all of these things because I prioritized them, because I wanted them. Right? The people come to, to Aaron, they're saying, give us this God, and he goes, all right, give me your treasure. Give me your gold. Give me your jewelry, and we'll make you an idol. And this is what you're going to worship. Right? We feed what we idolize. I have found myself in this place many times where I say that in my daily life, I prioritize God, then my wife and kids, and then my work. And then maybe my hobbies. But when I really take time and I think about where am I spending my time, where am I spending my money, where am I spending my effort... A lot of times, my life does not match up with what I'm saying it should look like. We feed what we idolize. And it happens fast. The third thing that I think we can take out of this, out of this, um, this, this experience that the people of Israel had is found in, again, we start in verse 4. And it says, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The third thing that we can take away from this is that we give our idols what only God deserves. Right, as we elevate things to this area of importance and prominence in our lives, we take the things that are reserved for our relationship with God and we give them to our idols. Look at the people of Israel. Right, like God just brought them out of slavery. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And what's the first thing that they say about this golden calf? This is the God that brought us up out of Egypt. This is the God who did all of those things for us. And then it goes on and says that they built this calf and altar. And they burnt it offerings. And they made peace offerings to it. And they worshipped it and they prayed to it. And actually all of those things, the building of the altar, the peace offerings, the, the, the burnt offerings, those are actually things that the Israelites knew about because God had established them into the rhythms of their daily lives 
as ways to worship and honor him and as ways to build relationship with him. Right? They actually took those things from God that God had said, these are good and these are right and they are a sign that you love me and a sign that I love you. And they took those things and they twisted them and they gave them to this golden idol. And again, if we just think about our own lives, about the places that we struggle with idolatry, I think if we're honest, we see this in our lives, right? I see it all the time in my own life. The things that God has gifted me, the things that God has, has blessed me with, the ways that I should respond to him, so quickly I turn and offer that to something or someone else. It, it just happens. It happens fast. So let's just take a second here and, and, get, and get practical. Right? Because I think we can look at these truths. I think we can look at the story of the people of Israel. But unless we ask the question, what does this really mean for me right now? I think we're missing the point. So I just want to ask you, where or what is an area of idolatry in your life? Because again, I'm guessing that there is one. What are you prioritizing over God? What are you making more important in the daily rhythms of your life than God, than who he says you are, than what he's calling you to? Now, I think, I think there's kind of two ways that this happens, right? And some of you are sitting there, and as you're thinking through this, you, you're identifying a thing, and it's a shock to you, right? You're like, whoa, it is this thing. Like, I, I didn't know. I kind of fell into this. And I think actually that happens, right? And maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's something that started as a good thing, right? I, I, think, about, I think about my my borderline obsession with disc golf, right? And it started because I was spending time with students and I was spending time with my family and it got me outdoors and it kept me active. It was a good thing until it began to control my life. Or for some of you, maybe it's media. I don't think that there's anything inherently good or bad with media, with movies, with TV, but it controls your life. Maybe some of you, it's sports, whether it's your own sports or your kids' sports. It started as a way for you to have fun as a family. It started as a way to, to give them a competitive edge, to keep them active, and suddenly it's all that you do. It controls your family. It controls your kids. Maybe it's politics. Right? There's nothing wrong. Actually, I believe that Christians should be engaged with politics, but suddenly this is the most important thing in your life. It drives everything. More than God. You fell into it, and you're sitting there right now saying, this is my thing. This is an area of my life that is separating me from God. Maybe it started out as this was God's best for me, but it's not now. Then I think there's another category of idolatry that we just have to talk about. Some of us here are just choosing it. If we were honest with ourselves and we asked that question, is this God's best word? We'd say, no. In fact, it's the opposite. He doesn't want this for me. And I know that he doesn't want this for me. But I like it. And I want it. 
and I'm going to choose it. Right? And that looks like a lot of things. Maybe it looks like pornography or substance abuse or gossip. And you know this is not what God is calling you to. But you like it. And you're going to choose it. It's idolatry. You are saying that this thing is more important to you than God. All right. Now that I have made all of us feel like absolute garbage, uh, and, and I just want to be open and honest, like, as I prepared for this message, there's this thing that happens, I think, to all of us, where when we're getting ready to speak, and we're, we're like, man, this is like, I think this is coming together well. This is a truth that people need to hear. God is always like, and it is a truth that you need to hear. And I'm always like, oh, no. Oh, no. Who would have thought that as I get ready to talk about idolatry, that God is going to pinpoint idols in my own life? But he did. He did. And, I, you know, I, I am up here in front of you saying, like, I also feel like garbage. I have not lived in God's best for me. I have taken thing after thing and person after person and elevated them to a point of importance over God in my life. But there... I think the reason that this happens, right? I think the reason that this happens is that it's all about identity. Right? When I think about idols in my own life, I make them who I am. I look at them and I say, this is, this is the thing that defines me. This is the reason people are going to love me. Maybe this is the reason I'm going to love myself. It's all about me. This is who I am now. And, and I actually think as we look back at the beginning of creation, it says that God created man and woman, and it says that he existed in perfect relationship with them. And it also says that they were naked and that they were not ashamed. They were so confident in who God says they were, they didn't even have to ask the question, what is God's best for me, because they were living in it. And they weren't ashamed. You see, the source of their identity, the source of their security, was God. God was speaking life and purpose into them in a way that is so powerful and so amazing. And then they sinned. And that relationship was severed, and it was broken, and it was damaged. And it says suddenly they were aware of their nakedness, and they were ashamed. You see, the very thing that they were created to identify with God and who he says they were was taken from them. And we find ourselves in a place now living in the consequences of this because we are created to pull our identity from outside of ourselves. And we are in this place where we are grasping at things to define us. We are moving from idol to idol to idol, saying, is this who I am? Is this who I am? Make this about me. Is this how people are going to love me? Is this how I'm going to love myself? When at the end of the day, it has to come back to God. It has to come back to who he says that we are. And here's the good news in all of this. Today and every day, God is calling you back to him. Right? We look, we've, we've spent these last 10 weeks 
in the book of Exodus. And we've looked at the people of Israel. And there is this thing that is happening where God will rescue them and he will save them. He will speak life into them. And they will go with him for a little bit. And then something happens. They're like, we're done. We don't like this. And they turn their back on God. And there's consequences. But God always calls them back to him. Right? That's what's happening here. The people of Israel are like, we waited 40 days that is enough. We are done with you. The good news is God's going to call them back to him. Right, this is actually a microcosm of the entire Bible and actually the entire human experience. Right, where it starts with this connectedness to God and it's broken and there's consequences and the people move away from God and he calls them back. And he speaks life and restoration to them. And you just see it happening over and over and over and over until the person of Christ comes. And he makes a way for right relationship between the people and between God. When I look at my own life even, I see this cycle of God's goodness and the things that he's done to me and these moments where I turned my back on him and I walked away. And I made everything about me. God keeps calling me back. And so today, as we have identified areas of idolatry in our lives, as we have looked at places where we have turned our back on God, the good news, the gospel, is that he's calling us back, is that he's calling you back. And I don't know specifically what that looks like for you. Maybe it means a hard conversation with your spouse or with your family. Maybe it means reevaluating priorities. Maybe it means a step away from something that you have identified is controlling your life. For some of you, maybe it means recovery from an addiction, counseling. We have a phenomenal program here called Celebrate Recovery that will help you begin the process of navigating through stepping back into who God says you are. Right? I don't know what it looks like for you, but I know that God is calling you to it. Right? I even think about bigger picture than all that. What do we do to come back to God? And it starts with prayer and repentance. The saying that I'm sorry, God, for, for elevating something over your position in my life. I'm sorry, God, for the ways that I have turned my back on you. It's getting into the Bible. It's reading the word. It's seeking after him. I think in a lot of ways it's getting plugged into the community of Christ, of getting pushed, of getting challenged, and of finding people who are going to build you up and point you towards God. It's asking that question, what is God's best for me? I'm going to invite the worship team up. And in a moment here, we're going to have a time of worship. And I just want to ask you, as we're doing this, as we're singing this song, if you would just stay seated and you would just take a moment to turn your eyes towards heaven. To see that there is a God who is calling you to something, who is calling you back to him. And in that time, also be introspective. Think through your own life and say, 
Where do I have idols in my own life? What does it look like for me to come back? What does it look like for me to follow that cycle of rebellion and repentance and come back to God? I have had this conversation many times with my children where when something bad happens, we're like, all right, say you're sorry. They're like, sorry. I'm like, okay, all right. But the next part of this is always, hey, it doesn't just, saying I'm sorry doesn't fix things. That's half of the equation. The other half is changing our actions. Changing the way that we live, the way that we engage, the way that we act. And today, as God is calling you back to him, repentance is a piece of that. And then moving forward, changing your actions. Asking ourselves the question, what is God's best for me? You see, because God alone is worthy of our adoration and praise. God alone is worthy of our worship. Like I said, today I, I believe that he is calling us back to him. We have to set aside all the things that have come between us and him, all the things that have separated us from him, and we have to come back. Today we have to bring ourselves to the place where we are constantly asking the question, what is God's best for?